Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch, heading into a new week, November 13th through the 17th. We've got Jared Creed, JC, Ag Financial. Jared, how's it going? Good as always, Chris. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, it's awesome having you on. Uh, I'm interested in a whole bunch of things with you this week. Uh, we haven't talked. I think you said it was like October 6th. It's been about a month. Um, since or a little over since we had you on and so excited to have a conversation here um, first off though and I and I didn't mention to this to you ahead of time but I think a lot of guys are wrapping up harvest and pretty much a lot of the areas however there's still um, some guys that I've talked to in the east uh, and the north a little bit and there's some pockets where guys have still challenged with 25 26 27 percent corn and um and and i was talking to a guy the other day around the chicago area and then east of there there's a fair amount of soybeans to go yet um but most people are getting wrapped up any anything you're hearing seeing from your clients or uh, well pretty much the same yeah i would agree kind of south dakota north dakota you got a ways to go uh illinois indiana ohio plenty of areas still to go not only is the corn wet, but it's really, really good in all those areas, including yeah. South Dakota, North Dakota. Space is very, very tight. Uh, the incentive to go get it in a fast speed, such as what we've seen in the state of Iowa and Nebraska, is maybe not as um, enticing. Uh, but nonetheless, the areas that are left to go are certainly appearing to be some big, big bushel areas. We don't have anybody that's not done with beans. Uh, I was a little surprised to hear you say that. Uh, I, <clears throat> I uh, suppose that'll get wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, but I bet in the next, let's see, uh, by November 20th, I think we'll have everybody done that we work with uh, on corn harvest. Mm-hmm. Basically yeah. next weekend. Yeah, I I think there'll be some guys yet still chugging away where those yields are really high and the corn's really wet. It takes a while to get things through the system and um you know and in our area stuff went pretty fast because there wasn't as many bushels and it was drier you know so the nice piece is looking at the forecast whether the guy has crop in the field still or has field work to do it looked really really good Mm -hmm. eventually we like to get some moisture obviously but um yeah. certainly seems like we're going to continue to have a wide open window here for a while. Yeah. Also, before we get to some of the main topics, the other thing we, we wrapped up with crop insurance uh, numbers at the end of October. Um, any comments on that? I mean, you're, you're quite involved and in, in look at that kind of stuff a lot, pay close attention. Any, any comments or things that the guys should be doing or thinking about, because I know, um, like in our area, we were we were off the pace quite a bit. I met with our insurance adjuster, um, got him all of our information and everything. Um, any comments on that for other people too? Uh, yeah, I mean, quite the roller coaster, especially in corn. Uh, we started the month on <clears throat> Sunday night at a low of like four, 
79, I think, but we instantly traded up into the four upper 480s into the low 490s uh, by that first day of full average. And in essence, what happened was kind of a, a worst case fear that we were going to come in on the low side, we were going to rally, and then we were going to come back lower and move lower post the insurance average. Not necessarily what's happened in the soybean space, definitely what has happened in the corn space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in all reality, we, 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 our insurance average on corn, 488, and the low that we had recently seen in the corn market all growing season was right around 470. So coming in 18 cents off the low for the 10 pole hatters, hey, not, not too bad. Um, certainly could have been a lot worse if our average would have been closer to five and then we moved the price all the way down to where we're at. But at the end of the day, I do feel that the U.S. producer, Chris, if you're a 94 million acre corn grower just yourself, you probably don't have a lot of insurance money. Trend yield around 180. Final yield around 175, 80% insurance policy on average across all that. Not a lot of money to go around from the insurance space. So that creates a little bit of a fear of a total revenue picture for the farmer that I think there still was. We talked about it numerous times, maybe a little bit of false sense of security. And insurance got, it has me. Insurance has me covered. Insurance has me covered. Uh, talked with several of your listeners, actually, I think after we, might have discussed this in September, the beginning of October. I know where I was today. I was on a combine and multiple phone calls coming in. Hey, should we be buying something to protect the insurance move? I said, no, if we're going to spend any money, let's protect something just to keep the floor under bushels for the long haul and take it for what it is during the month of October. A guy might have been able to make a little bit of money in that period if he was really, really on top of his execution from the buy and the sell side of protecting that insurance price. But in all reality, it was such a short-lived rally again um, that now we're moving into new lows. So nothing really to speak of too much on the insurance space. You know, beans a dollar lower than the spring price, close to it. I would say in our uh, group of producers outside of margin protection on corn, uh, the lion's share of money was coming on beans. And unfortunately, it still wasn't even enough to make any money. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, with that said, let's let's move on to the next topic. Unless you have other comments, there. Uh, last week, we had uh, a WASD report. USDA did a little bit of a surprise for us because typically that report doesn't do much or have much in it to really move the market. And we had um, corn yields go up. A bunch beans kind of the same response talk a little bit about the report what you take from it what what we should as farmers be thinking about um it, it, to me and i told you offline before we started recording I, i'm not surprised at, <clears throat> at the yields and i think we've been saying i've been saying i've been all all summer the crops have looked really good when you travel all over the place and look around you could kind of see the yields looked really, really good. You know, the prospects looked like they were probably gonna be pretty good everywhere. Um, and if, if there's anything that, you know, you and I and, and my area and to the North, um, and a little bit to the East of my area, 
were in that hole where the drought monitor showed really deep red and we still had pretty darn good yields and we had as dry a conditions this year in our farm operation as we as really as we did in 2012 and we had you know about 50 bushel better yields than we did in 2012 and so you know we obviously can grow a crop with super dry conditions talk a little bit about that report and about what we need to be thinking about from that sure across our uh, across our clientele once again our yields uh, we did have a few areas in kind of north central west i don't want to call it west central but kind of a northern third of iowa with the exception of waterloo cedar falls area north that drought area that you were referencing yeah, him a lot. Actually, a fair amount of individuals make new records on both corn and beans. And if you look back and look at the rainfall all summer, that's just the areas that it didn't stop raining. Nobody else really set records, but a lot of folks on both corn and beans in the good growing areas have ridiculously good crops yet. So, from a WASD perspective, yeah, I would agree with you that the expectation was that at least corn wasn't going to go down. It did have room to go up. You know, I would say that if an individual was surprised on a WASD, uh, we just need to remember that we had a lot of question marks on the crop through the growing season. And maybe we still do. But when you have those question marks going into the November report, it does open the door for more movements. Typically, when we don't have any of those question marks, crop has been uh, uh, well produced throughout the entire year. You just don't have a lot of movement in the month of November. I would tell you that I was surprised by the soybean move. I'm not arguing the yield increase. I understand why, especially with some of the yields that are being pulled in soybeans east of the Mississippi. Um, but I think that the market was caught off guard from a yield increase in the fashion that they did. You know, 1.9 up in corn being close to 175 yield, fair. Still possibly could go higher uh, into January. I highly doubt it goes lower. Uh, on the soybean side, I guess I'm just going to say 50 bushel, call it, but then a half a bushel either side, which is pretty important from the overall balance sheet perspective. But here's the most important piece. Let's not lose sight that the biggest question mark of the WASD is, are we actually going to see the demand come to fruition that the USDA put in? Because make no mistake about it, corn got a lifeline by increasing the demand side, how we did. Now, with that said, Econ 101, you got more supply, you're gonna use more. Less supply, you're gonna use less. However, you know, USDA marketing year, September 1 to the end of August, we're so early in the marketing year yet that they probably can't start ratcheting down that demand. So an increase in exports, good luck. An increase in ethanol, mm, maybe. Feed and residual bucket, a lot of question marks that'll get resolved over every quarter as we advance towards quarterly stocks reports. So the January report, or the month of January, I should say, of final production and a quarterly grain stocks report is a real possibility of starting to shine light on what our real demand situation looks like long-term. Soybean demand, it's fine. It ain't going to be able to get much better. It's not going to be able to get a lot worse. Our supply is tight. It's near pipeline supply. Hence why we're $13, $14 beans. No argument. Corn, just 
we probably said this before, but just take a step back and think about it for a second. If we end up with a 2.3 billion bushel carryout, which I think is probably closer to reality based upon some nicks and bruises to come on a demand segment. If you remove Ukraine and Russia and you remove the inflation story and you look at world corn stocks and you look at U.S. corn stocks, tell me why corn is five bucks. In years past, that's a three and a half to four dollar commodity. I'm not suggesting we're going to three and a half to four bucks, but don't lose sight that a 2.3 billion bushel carryout historically is certainly not worth six bucks. And arguably, it's not worth five either. So the cash market, the, the user and the farmer are like in a standoff right now. And also don't lose sight of why is basis as good as it is in places. It's not because the supply isn't there. It's because the farmer's very, very slow at selling. And the problem with that is you can go to these users that will pay well above their posted values, the tradable values above what you see on their websites. Challenge is you can't sell them significant volume. They only want to buy what it takes for them to get from point A to point B. And they will outweigh the farmer. And we know who wins that battle. Something else can happen in the marketplace to take corn higher, but it isn't going to be in the demand sector as of now in the U.S. So when you hear, you know, a flash sale and you hear, you know, or you see these little bumps in the market, what do you, what, what should the producer be reading from that stuff? And what should Nothing. the producer be doing? <laughs> Nothing flash sales. Uh, until you start seeing some flash sales in the corn space to somebody beyond Mexico, it's a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. We need to sell corn to Mexico and we need to sell more corn to Mexico. And we need to start selling corn to China. However, the only, not, not the only way, the most plausible way to make that happen is we need to get cheaper or we need South America to get more expensive. Sure. And you can throw in Ukraine in that picture as well, but right now we're just not competitive. And it certainly didn't help the last 30 to 60 days, the issues on the river as well. Barge freight, ridiculously high making it tough for a world corn importer to have a competitive price to buy from the U.S. And, and that also goes within the uh, the P&W. And, you know, think about, we know the Gulf has had an issue. We can't get corn down there. River issues, uh, not competitive. At the same time, we should be shipping a lot of corn out of P&W eventually. Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Western Minnesota, to a certain extent, Northwest Iowa. Well, just look at those bids. First off, ethanol is really not letting it leave. But at the same time, uh, cash corn sub $4 at your processors in North Dakota now. And for that matter, a lot of South Dakota too. And I'm talking your big processors, <laughs> your poets, your Valeros. Cash corn is sub 4 bucks. We talk about we need to get cheaper. As of today, it certainly doesn't appear that we're cheap enough. Because you're not seeing these big flash sales to destinations outside of Mexico. You're not seeing big export announcements to, say, China. And maybe it's not because we're not competitive. Maybe because the world user, A, has enough, or B, just flat out doesn't need it. So 
to uh, look at something that could be on the bright side, or maybe it isn't. But as we record this in the middle part of November, uh, South American weather, anything there for hope? Not really. Yeah, you can certainly have hope. Um, I got to sound like on a soapbox here, but we get so <laughs> tied up with all these damn maps throughout the growing season in the U.S. Look at this area that hasn't got rain. Look at these temperatures. Look at this too much water. Look at this forecast of no rain. On and on and on and on. Put this in context for a second for all your listeners. Brazil is forecasted right now to grow a 6 billion bushel bean crop. And the U.S. ended up raising, I'm not sure what our final production was, call it 4.2. Well, think about the geographical footprint from, say, North Dakota to Virginia and from Maryland to western Nebraska of how much area that takes to grow 4.2 billion bushel of beans. Now add 1.8 billion bushel of production to that and think about the geographical area with a similar yield in Brazil that it takes to grow those beans. Meaning, we know that when all the dust settles, areas can have a poor yield or poor weather, and other areas can have a really good growing season, and they offset each other. It's what we just experienced here in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. Just grew a 50-bushel bean crop with a lot of troublesome weather in a lot of places. Imagine for both the corn and beans, if you look at our ear counts on corn, you know, once you get into September, or excuse me, October, USDA WASI reports on production starts showing you ear weights, starts showing you ear counts. We set a record on ear count. So was that an emergence deal? Probably. Stand count? Yes. Um, now just imagine if we had one or two more widespread one to two inch rain events in a lot more areas. What would have that yield possibly been? So taking it back to South America, the bigger question mark is in the areas that actually need some rain today to get the crop planted timely, soybeans that is, to follow it up with a corn crop here this next summer. If we don't get all that done timely, maybe you got your hat to hang on on something, but that's not really the corn market's obviously not worried about it yet so listen to what the market's telling us and on the bean side yeah we've definitely had um, a fair amount of excitement that you know you rally beans post harvest by a buck some concerns on south america weather and you had the funds have a small short position so it had just the right combination to spur a decent rally but outside of that you know First two weeks of November, nah, I'm uh, not willing to buy into any of the hype around South America weather at this point. Okay, so that's that's check on that one. Let me let me ask you another area of uh, consideration: the funds and and seasonals. Eventually, you know, when you look at going in, you know, wrapping up the year, going into the new year. Um, what what do you see ahead there? What are the funds thinking or what, in your opinion, um, it, it takes money to move the market around also. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what, what are the, in general, in your opinion, what are the funds thinking and what, is there any opportunity there for some money flow? 
From an economic reason for the funds to be involved in commodities, that story is just not there like it was a year ago. Um, and what we have seen is general open interest from that community, both your index funds, more of your passive investor, uh, and your speculative hedge funds per se, uh, their involvement has dwindled quite drastically over the last couple of years. Some of that might have to do with 9% interest, just the, uh, the amount of money that it takes to be involved. And at the same time, other opportunities where they're able to park capital that is assigned to them to generate a return. Can they do it in places outside of the commodity market? And the answer is yes, with a lot of safer uh, guaranteed returns per se. So at this point, we don't really have a catalyst for them to be a big mover one way or the other. I would add in that, that that's probably more prevalent in soybeans on the corn side as you build this bigger carry than what we've been accustomed to. It's letting it, it it's getting easier and easier and easier day by day for a speculative short position to maintain their short position and get paid by rolling forward. D-smarge corn, 15-ish cents, might go to 17 to 18. In today's environment, it probably should. Doesn't mean it will. December, December corn, probably gonna go closer to 50. Doesn't mean it will, but it probably should. Don't lose sight of the fact that years ago in the, in the scenarios of 250 to 350 corn, a calendar year spread, December 23 to December 24 per se, has been an, almost a dollar a bushel carry. So if you're a big short position and you're rolling forward into the market, no different than a farmer with a hedge rolling into a carry, mm -hmm. it becomes easier to maintain a short price because you're increasing your short price in the market. And quite frankly, it looks like it looks like corn is on a warpath to 450 front month futures. And the I don't want to say problem, the scary piece about that is what if it's not December corn that does it? What if it's March? Mm -hmm. That's another 30 cents of downside from where we are today. Mm -hmm. And that gets pretty easy to roll a short position from these to March and wait for another 30 cent drop in March corn. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, if the market goes low enough, people will start selling. <laughs> Some will. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, on the soybean side, I think we got to be realistic with ourselves too, that we're not the kingpin in the market anymore. The U.S. soybean crop yeah. is somewhat an afterthought to the Brazilian crop. Not an afterthought, but you have probably removed the seasonals in the bean market that we've been accustomed to for years. Started to remove them. Mm -hmm. On corn, yeah, you can still say we have some seasonals, but I'll go back to saying that the seasonals went out in a supply and demand fundamental situation that we have today. And I would argue no, and the speculative positions in the marketplace today are almost going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the U.S. farmer, saying, we know you are way undersold, and we know you have 
about six months to sell a quote of about 5 billion bushel of corn, maybe even more. And that's a lot of selling pressure in the market that has to find that next willing buyer at a certain price. It doesn't mean that the buyer can't ramp up the price to get the farmer to sell, but that's not the environment we are in today. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of headwinds obviously here we're talking about. So what I'd like to do as we get closer to wrapping up and unless you have some things I haven't quizzed you on yet, but we talked, we've talked about with a lot of people uh, on this podcast over the course of the last few months about the equation of navigating unsold bushels. So in that equation, you have basis. In that equation, you have storage costs, you have interest rates, you have potential continued inflation, you have a carry in the market yet. Um, there's a lot of things to do the math on and you have ca your cash flow, you have your, your, your payments, your line of credit, you know, uh, those types of things, you know, your prepays that are gonna be coming up and all of those kind of things that go into the equation of making some decisions. And then there's, there's those out there to your point that have a lot of unsold bushels. There's those with some, and there's those with not as much, but almost everybody has something that's, that's sitting behind them. Like you see behind me here with, with a lot of grain to move yet with a fair amount of it yet on priced. What, what, are some of the things that producers need to be thinking about as they do those equations and and think through the algebra? Sure. So just this last week, a lot of notices were sent out to U.S. producers from various banks of notice of another rate increase on their operating money. I don't know. I'm sure several of your listeners got them uh, with a lot of it being nine to nine and a half now. And we, we have plenty of operators who are 10 plus too, just depending on the bank that they work with. So let's just say 5,000 bushel of corn at five bucks, $25,000, right? So on a monthly interest perspective right now, we're talking about um, <clears throat> four cents a month in essence of just interest. So let's just work with that number for a second. And avoid, like you said, in the picture behind you, <clears throat> that bin site is not free to run. It still costs money to keep something in there, electric, whatever, maintaining quality of grain, so on and so on. So let's just work with four cents a month for a second. So let's just say I'm going to pay interest on money, November, December, Jan, Feb, March, April, May, June. Because that's your biggest carry on the board right now off of the July contract, 30 some cents. So I'm going to store corn for eight months at a four cent cost a month. I'm up to 32 cents of interest that I'm going to spend. And it might not be interest tied to the crop that you just finished harvested or finishing harvesting right now, but it might be interest that you start to accrue on next year's crop to boot. So now I'm starting to think about, well, what's my cash carry in the market today? If I can sell, um, let's just, uh, I'm gonna <clears throat> pull up a, a Western Iowa facility, Denison, Iowa, a location we work a lot with. They are bid today, 
go figure as soon as I try to load it, my internet is not working <laughs> fast, but I'm almost positive their basis today is five under. And I'm almost positive that their bid out into June, July is 15 under the July. So that makes cash corn today in essence for 60 and that makes June, July corn uh, for 80. All right. So you got a 20 cent board carry. So we, or excuse me, 20 cent cash carry. So we know right off the bat, <clears throat> it's going to cost me 25 cents to get to June. And in that cash market, I'm only getting a 20 cent cash carry. That is an inverted market to the farmer right there. Knowing that it's going to take me more money to get to the later date than what I can receive today. Now we start considering what do I need the market to actually do to make some additional money? I need basis to improve out in June, July to the extent of 10 to 15 cents, if not even more, just to break even. So am I willing to make that bet that June, July delivery corn in a Western Iowa market will be 20 over? Will it be 30 over? The odds are probably yes, Chris, but it's not a get rich type of a strategy. Wait until then either, mm. especially if an individual is not going to sell the carry. You might see basis improve for June, July, but if you don't sell it to start, the board can still come lower and now you're really swimming uphill. So we're telling guys right now that it costs you six to seven cents a month to hold corn. And we're going to be empty on corn by March 1. We have a significant amount of volume that is moving in the next 90 days. A lot of guys will be empty by the end of the year. I do feel that basis can have a similar path to what it experienced last year. And last year we were in an inverted board. This year we're in a carry board. Last year we didn't have 9% interest. This year we do. Um, I think in the next 90 days will be your best opportunities on basis relative to what that cash value is with the board carry or inverse. And last year it basically peaked out right about now. By Thanksgiving, the best cash basis values relative to the board carries or inverse was right now. And it got nothing but worse throughout the balance of the year. A lot of that, isn't it? partially location too though because i would just look in for example in iowa cedar rapids iowa is posting on average about 15 over in eddieville mm -hmm. which is the other big cargill location in central south central iowa of un, uh, 25 under and so mm -hmm. um you know last week i know our drivers that were hauling corn for us to cedar rapids were saying you know there's there's trucks showing up that we've never seen before, you know, and that that's how basis gets, gets taken care of is, is, is the grain moves from one region to another and kind of, you know, kind of evens out that basis a little bit. It's kind of, kind of something to think about too. Well, think about this too, from crop size and basis, like you're referring to, uh, if you look at Valero, their east to west footprint, <clears throat> there is a dollar a bushel difference in basis value from Ohio to Western Iowa. Tells you all you need to know right there, right? 
right. local areas, but a dollar a bushel difference. And, you know, just looking at another big monster, Columbus, Nebraska, one of your largest ethanol plants in all the U.S., uh, they have a cash bid today that is the exact same value as May corn. They have a cash bid today that is worth 15 cents more than January. So every day or week or month that goes by that I pass up on being able to ship corn today, I know that I'm incurring additional money of expense. And if I'm at a 15 cent inverse from today until January and I store it for two months, there's another eight cents. I lose theoretically 23 cents a bushel waiting until then. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that January bid can't get better. And I'm referring to just strictly basis here. But the point of the point of talking about this is right now <clears throat> for, I would definitely say west of the Mississippi, this is prevalent that the market's asking for your corn today. Mm -hmm. And right. as the average farmer walks away from the market, we need to be running to it. If the average farmer comes running to the market, we need to be walking away from it to a certain extent and <clears throat> just don't lose sight of the value of cash in hand going into next year and certainly don't lose sight on what you are thinking about your final result is going to be into the end of the year from a working capital perspective that is starting to sneak up on us Chris I've got a handful of balance sheets this last week that here's a interesting one operation that doesn't spend money earnestly. I would just kind of say a run of the mill 3,500 acre corn farm, very little beans on the operation. Um, they ended up coming away with 190 bushel corn yield, 230 bushel APH. So obviously short there. They're 90 some percent sold, if not a little bit higher than that, on that 190 bushel yield. And when you calculate, all their grain sales and or hedges and their insurance, they gross equivalent of a $7.10 a bushel price on that 190 bushel corn. And their working capital on the year after grossing $1,350 an acre only went up 70 bucks. Mm -hmm. That right there in itself That's scary. should be flashing red lights. Yeah. If you didn't have a good insurance program and you didn't have great, great yields and you didn't have a lot of forward sales, grossing $1,350 an acre and only moving forward by 70 bucks an acre. Mm -hmm. There will be guys that will be losing two, three, $400 an acre working capital this year. Mm -hmm. We're going to give up everything we just earned. Mm -hmm. So don't lose sight of what that end result on the balance sheet needs to be versus getting tied up in USDA says this, the weather in South America is that cash price isn't high enough relative to what now take all that away and take a glance with the bank and say, where do I need to be mm -hmm. in 60 days? Mm -hmm. What do I want this to end up being? And you even take that to a step further for next year, that <clears throat> I'm going to give all of us a hard time here for a second. <clears throat> Let's just say we're talking about marketing of next year's crops. Don't care what the commodity is. 
typically the easiest thing for the producer to do is start by putting by starting putting in offers. I want to sell this price. I want to sell this price. I want to sell this price. That's great. That's proactive. But what about in addition to that, making that first sale now hmm. versus waiting for that first sale to be higher? Because the piece where I'm giving us a hard time, we're a little bit hypocritical in this that, well, the market didn't rally to get to my first offer. It came lower. So now I'm going to take my first offer and lower it right back down to the same price we started at today. And I'm going to chase it. Then you never get a fill and you're constantly walking your offers down where you could have just sold day one. Mm -hmm. Got some coverage in place because I, from what I've seen so far, costs for next year, they're going to be lower year on year. Maybe not as much as what we would hope to see. Nitrogen's really made a big, big comeback here in the last 90 days. You know, and hydrous is darn near twice the price that it was beginning of August. Mm -hmm. So when you look forward to next year and you couple up with what my working capital is going to look like at the end of this year, we just got to walk carefully and focus on the big picture, not the, <clears throat> not the noise. Right. Right. Well, as we, uh, uh, wrap up here, um, you know, a lot of headwinds, a lot of challenges. Um, I like what you're saying is, 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 you know, paying attention, doing the math, making some sales. It's going to depend a lot for a lot of people, how much they already have sold. It's harder for, it's easier for those that have already a bunch sold to make some more sales and look at that average price and be content. I think it's going to be a real tough one for some of these guys. You know, if, if, if there's somebody listening here, that's got a lot of unsold bushels, that's a tough tough pill to swallow. Um, but I think to your point, at some point you have to be proactive and you have to take action. Um, the numbers you're rattling off, I mean, you're talking, you, you talked about that 70 bucks an acre, um, you know, of working capital gain. If you look at it the other way, you know, your four cents or seven cents, I come up usually with about five cents. You know, the last time we did the mass, Jay and I, we were at about five cents a month, you're talking, you know, $10, $10 an acre per month. If you wait all the way out to that June timeframe, there's your 70 bucks out the window, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, you got to kind of look at some of this math from several different perspectives to, to enhance you or to entice you to, to take action. Last question I have for you. Um, can, I, can I interrupt you on one piece? Say yep. that, uh, the real quick thing on a farmer moving grain as well. <clears throat> It's easy to make that sale and know that, okay, I got 45 days to ship it. A lot of sales right now are being sold for shipment through the end of the year. That says, well, I got this other stuff that I need to get done, understandably so, but don't drag your feet on that delivery because if the market provides an opportunity to do something even better, you don't want to have your hands tied with the contractual obligation that you haven't executed on yet. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking of doing something and before the end of the year, don't make that one sale when you know you need to make four sales to move all the grain, possibly, um, and get yourself behind the eight ball that I can't sell more because I physically can't execute it on it right now. And then all of a sudden the market gets away from us. 
So uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a game plan from logistics and the challenges that we all have with labor and such of if I can do something now, I need to execute on it now. And while I'm doing that execution, I'm looking ahead at the same time to what's my next sale. Mm-hmm. What's my next window of opportunity that I have. And that's why I'm hopeful. We have starting, starting this Monday, I mean, we'll be moving a substantial amount of corn on a daily basis and knock on wood, the guys who need to, we, like I said before, we will be out of corn by the end of December. Mm-hmm. And the market's telling us to do that. Yeah, no, I, that's hard to argue with. I, I would echo the, the sentiment. Um, last thing, and then we need to keep rolling here, but last thing on 2024, um, you know, when we look at cost productions and we're going to get a lot smarter on that here in the next, uh, you know, a couple of months as we sit down with guys and really mm-hmm. crunch the numbers on 24, but the initial numbers we looked at and where the market's been, you know, there's been some pretty good pricing opportunities to take advantage of reasonably decent margins you know, maybe not as good as we've seen in the past few years, not not even close, but yet profitable levels to at least, you know, plug in some sales. Any any thoughts on the 24 stuff that guys need to watch here quickly as we wrap up? Uh, yeah, just basically going back to first week of July, <clears throat> we've seen next year's foreign trade between more or less 510 to 530. Mm-hmm. And you can maybe even tighten that up a little bit, <clears throat> say 510 to 520. Just be careful not to get lulled to sleep, waiting for that next level to try to sell, which could still come around at a later date. But most guys are going to have a lot of bullets to sell some later. Mm-hmm. That if I, if my gut is right that we go to a 450 front month commodity, spreads can only go so wide, most likely. And let's just say it's a 50 cent spread between D's 23 and D's 24. And if we're at 450, that means 24 is at five bucks. And if that spread doesn't want to widen anymore and corn wants to continue to go lower, that means both of them are going to move lower. It's going to be tough unless you got a really, really sharp pencil. If we drop corn another 30 cents before even the February insurance average, there's another advantage of being able to make some marketing decisions for next year now ahead of the insurance average, kind of setting your own revenue floor on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not a big fan of just advocating these wide open strategies, Chris, but something that we're going to employ here very soon is just buying $5 puts, selling 550 calls and selling 450 puts. It, and it's going to expire the end of June versus next year's corn futures. What do I have? I have protection from five down to 450. And I got upside from five to five fifty, and I know that from five to five fifty, I'm going to live to five another day. If we go to six, so be it. I'm going to have more bullets to sell. But if we go down to four fifty, at least I got my fifty cent gain from five to four fifty, and I can start mathematically considering where my revenue uh, stops bleeding from insurance programs below four fifty, mm-hmm. and then I'm thinking about everything as a whole. If I have a third of my crop sold or 40, 50% of the crop sold, and I've got an insurance floor 50 cents lower than the market, I can create a little bit of a bulletproof situation. That's borderline the same math that we walked through at your winter meeting last year of the farmer needing to find 
where they need to have protection for their operation before their insurance kicks in to keep them whole. Right. And boy, did that ring true this year. For oh sure. yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get you back uh, here <clears throat> in a couple, couple of weeks and we'll talk a little bit more about 2024. I think in the meantime, I like your, your sentiment of paying attention, trying to get a figure, get a plan to stick a fork in 2023 because it does get hard to try to market multiple years at the same time. <laughs> you know, when when you're distracted by the 23, you might be giving up opportunities on the uh, on the 24 because you're you're working all the math and logistics and all this other stuff. And and sometimes it's it uh, causes you to miss an opportunity that otherwise would have been a good yeah. one to take. I'm, I'm going to ask you one question, Chris, um, and then I'll promise I'll shut up. Um, you look out at even 2025 and 2026. There's probably operators in your group that you can put a pretty good estimate together of what type of cost ranges they could see. They could see their cost movement over the next 24 to 36 months. A lot of those variables would probably be chemical and fertilizer and land would be the three pieces that can move the needle in a, in a big amount. Mm -hmm. Well, if a guy's owns some ground, knows what his expense is on that annually, and then rents ground, you're going to do a blended average. Well, what does my cost do if my rent ground goes up 100 bucks an acre across the next 24 months? Well, I'm going to bring that together. What happens if fertilizer goes 50% higher or even double? My point being is, it seems like the market in general is trying to get the producer to say, you need to know how to make money growing $5 corn. And if it's less than that, it's going to be a little bit tougher uh, with the exception of a cost reduction. So it is a little bit of an assumption and a speculation, but it's an educated guess on what my expense exposure is going to be in the next 24 months. And looking at 25 and 26 corn, it's been hanging its head above $5 futures for quite a while here now. And we're just kind of methodically every week, sell a little bit. Every week, sell a little bit. Every week, sell a little bit. That we go back to a $4 market and you end up with 25% of the crop sold at five bucks. Well, that's going to make a big difference to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And you might be just fine. You might be really good if, inputs go lower with it and really not a compare in the world if corn would go to six uh, because selling that first chunk at five and being able to sell the balance at six is a lot better for the end, end game than it's a lot better to miss out on a high than it is to miss out on being able to hedge something at these current values and end up with closer to four. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent there. One other uh, line item I would throw in there which is typically the second largest line item expense that is calc you're able to calculate that out in multiple years as machinery and equipment. Um, people have been able to, you know, in the last few years have really updated a lot of stuff. So there's a lot of life in, uh, in that line item expense, which tends to be the second largest. And so I think, yeah, we can get the math pretty good out you know, out quite a ways and, and have some good information to make decisions with for sure. So anyway, Hey, I think this was a good conversation. We went 
went out here quite a ways, uh, but I think there's just a ton of stuff to think about. Um, there's some headwinds, but I also think there's opportunities here for guys to still have a good year. Um, but we got to make some decisions and we got to decide what the definition of a good year is. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not pie in the sky. Probably it's, it's figuring out, you know, what is your individual math? What's your basis? What's the algebra for your farm? With that said, Jared, I really appreciate you being on here. We're going to get you back again here in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll kind of try to put a bow on some of this stuff here and, and figure out um, what's, what's going on with this market here. We'll be a little smarter in a few weeks too. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Really appreciate it. You bet, Chris. All righty. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we will catch you again next time on the AgView Pitch. <laughs> <laughs>